Welcome back, guys and gals. You're listening to the Northern Miner Podcast, and I am your host, Matthew Keevil. As always, we are brought to you by the Yukon Mining Alliance. Please surf by yukonminingalliance.ca and check out all the exciting exploration and development activity going on in Canada's Yukon Territory. Uh, and welcome to 2017. Uh, another year in the rearview. I hope everybody had a fantastic holiday season with family and friends. Maybe popped a few corks, took some time off, hit the slopes. Uh, we have been on the West Coast anyway. Uh, peppered with snow, uh, the local mountains have been uh, very nice, though very very cold, uh, very cold weather. Um, you got to watch out for that global warming. Uh, it's getting real hot out there. Uh, <laughs> but uh, yeah, we are looking at a new year and some new realities, both financial and political, that we're going to be tackling. Uh, I have some interesting bank reports uh, and financial institution reports that t- sort of take a forward-looking um, uh, predictive uh, stance on 2017. And so we'll look at a little bit of maybe what we can expect, where, where we can see investment dollars, uh, where some of the major economies might be going. Um, um, and what some of the uh, analysts think about, you know, Canada versus the U.S., what's going on in Europe, uh, how China's looking in terms of manufacturing and things like that. So we'll be tackling that. Uh, this will be a bit of an abridged episode um, because uh, we aren't fully back in the swing of things in the studio. Uh, but next week we will have your regularly scheduled programming. Uh, Leslie will be back in studio with the Geology Corner. Um, and we'll see if we can get some more exclusive interviews with mining executives and analysts. Uh, but for now, uh, you got me this week. And... And uh, we're going to be taking a look at a couple reports um, from some of the major banks, namely BMO and Scotiabank, um, on uh, on China, on the U.S., on Canada, uh, and maybe a few of the stock picks that they mention as their favorites moving into 2017. Now, of course, one of the major themes we'll be looking at this year is the incoming Donald J. Trump presidency in the United States. Um, and those who've had their ear to the ground on the newswire over the holiday season will have already seen a little bit of a, a sneak preview of how this might play out in the United States. Firstly, we know, well, we don't know a lot. Uh, there is some uncertainty in terms of uh, policies on uh, protectionism, how NATO's going to go, um, his approach to uh, defense and things like that. What we have seen already is that A, he's probably not going to stop using Twitter, and B, he's not afraid to use Twitter to call out specific companies and attempt to influence corporate policy. Now, what we saw over the holiday season was a tweet directed at Ford Motors, and the response was that Ford actually pulled expansion plans for a large-scale Mexican plant, Uh, and uh, Trump has also levied similar statements towards Toyota um, and some other auto manufacturers in terms of his general distaste with outsourcing means of production uh, uh, from the U.S. And he, he's still talking about generating tons of jobs. We saw the uh, post or pre-New Year, I should say, spike in uranium prices following Trump uh, sort of lauding the potential for uranium and nuclear power. Uh, we've seen stocks like NextGen, which has jumped significantly up to about $2.85 per share at the time of recording. Cameco has bounced back based on those statements. So Trump has proven that A, he's not afraid to use social media to bypass traditional legacy media institutions, which he used to great success during the election, and B, he is very much not afraid to go directly at major corporations and attempt to influence their uh, plans in terms of expansion and production centers. 
And of course, we have to look into how that may impact Canada. And there has already been a lot of news copy and columns written on uh, the potential impact of the divergent viewpoints of the Trudeau administration vis-a-vis the Trump administration and how things like carbon taxes might impact competition, uh, how that might impact capital inflows and outflows and maybe draw more investment towards the United States, putting Canada at a bit of a disadvantage, especially in terms of fossil fuels. And that segues pretty well into our first uh, sort of analyst note uh, looking forward into 2017. Uh, BMO put out what it is calling Best of BMO, the Canadian edition. And this is a broad scale uh, capital equity uh, report uh, that they put out in early January. And it covers everything from uh, materials, so our mining sector through energy and oils, uh, energy infrastructure, diversified financials, and banks. Um, So what we have here is sort of a a broad sweeping outlook on what the year might look like for... uh, mostly focused on the U.S. and Canadian economies. Now, interesting, what they said is, uh, after another mildly disappointing year of global growth in 2016, BMO expects a modest pickup in the coming year. And when they say modest, uh, they say uh, overall they'll be looking for a global GDP to perk up slightly to 3.1%, quote-unquote, uh, from the post-recession low of 2.8% in 2016. Uh, for Canada, uh, the potential combination of firmer U.S. growth and the moderate recovery commodity prices sets a positive backdrop for the coming year. Um, After two years of struggling with roughly 1% growth, BMO has bumped up its 2017 GDP outlook for Canada to 1.9%. And uh, beyond a better external backdrop, domestic growth will find some support from a rollout of long-awaited infrastructure outlays that we're familiar with from the Trudeau administration. However, BMO does caution. Uh, it expects that the economy's main growth engine of the past two years, the housing sector, uh, will lose momentum this year, uh, partly owing to tighter mortgage insurance rolls. Uh, and then they say, though, on the flip side, the economy's biggest drag of the past new two years, business investment is projected to turn higher after a combined plunge of more than 18% over the past two years years um and so this will play out quite interestingly i mean in terms of um one of the other things we'll be looking at very closely is is um the performance of the tsx um and uh what uh, bmo says in terms of the tsx uh they believe that canadian stocks will take a back seat this year to the u.s once again uh brian belsky the chief investment strategist at bmo uh is looking for the tsx to hit sixteen thousand by year end which would be up about 4.6 percent and they do note, uh, as we mentioned earlier, the potential policy shift in the U.S., which should be significant moving from the Obama to Trump administration uh, in terms of things like uh, taxation um, and environmental protectionism. Um, and so what the BMO has concluded is that uh, a broad policy shift in the U.S., especially relative to Canada, uh, and when they're talking about less regulation and renewed fiscal s- stimulus, will likely see asset flows swing back to the U.S. at some point point during the year um, and once again they also say that uh, the Bank of Canada will likely remain on the sidelines this year um, that will keep Canadian short-term bonds uh, pinned down through at least the first half of the year uh, decent growth through the middle of the year an accelerating US economy a tightening Fed and rising US Treasury yields will combine to push government and county yields higher right across the curve as well so that's a little bit of discussion on sort of the interaction between the potential uh, changes in the US economy and Canada and 
Um, the materials, uh, the the sort of I guess uh, preferred stocks. Let's say for uh, in our BMO report that we're looking at here. Um, this is just focusing specifically on materials. So we have some royalty companies, uh, but mostly miners. Uh, Detour Gold, uh, Ivanhoe Mines, Newmont Mining, Cisco Mining, Royal Gold, and Semifo uh, are the uh, sort of preferred materials gold uh, producers for BMO uh, in our report. Um, Meanwhile, we also have a report from Scotiabank on the China commodity strategy. And I always find these interesting because they tend to get into a little bit of the narrative coming out of central Chinese government on how they feel about the year ahead and also what they'll sort of be doing in terms of themes for uh, fiscal and monetary policy, which, as we all know, can have a very broad uh, impact on our industry. Uh, you just have to look at the thermal and metallurgical coal uh, prices during the last half of the year to see how uh, fundamental the Chinese strategy can impact, um, especially industrial uh, commodities. Um, so this one's a December uh, Purchasing Managers Index uh, review coming out of China. Uh, the official manufacturing PMI for December came in at 51.4. Uh, that's slightly slightly shy of the street's estimate of 51.5. Um, and Scotiabank says uh, it believes this positive momentum will be carried forward into the new year. Uh, China's recent policy messages have been focused on maintaining stability in 20. 2017, uh, as opposed to bolstering growth uh, through additional stimulus. Um, so uh, Scotiabank notes that President Xi recently remarked that China doesn't need to meet the 6.5% GDP growth objective if doing so creates too much risk. Uh, so this seems to indicate Beijing's willingness to forego growth for stability uh, and potentially foreshadows China's eventual deviation from the 6.5% growth target. Um, uh, with a prospect of greater stimulus measures becoming increasingly unlikely, uh, Scotiabank believes uh, upside in the PMI may be limited. Um, so an interesting thing to see, um, you know, just looking a little bit closer at that uh, purchasing managers index data, um, and uh, just just uh, for those who aren't aren't economists, uh, this is typically an indicator of uh, uh, the economic health of the manufacturing sector, which is of course something we look at uh, in terms of the Chinese economy in a major way. So looking at that underlying data a little bit closer, uh, this. December level of 51.4 declined slightly from 51.7 in November uh, based on uh, falling output levels uh, during the month. Uh, severe smog in northern China has led regulators to close down steel mills and factories in efforts to improve air quality. Um, other than environmental concerns, Scotiabank says production will likely see further slowdown next month ahead of the Chinese New Year celebration. Um, and Chinese, pol uh, Chinese policymakers uh, held the annual Central Economic Work Conference, CEW uh, in late December, which uh, essentially maps out their plans for 2017. Um, and based on the press release, uh, the Chinese government will, one, uh, and just to um, just to clarify, this is Scotiabank's reading on the press release and not the Northern Miners or my own. Uh, one, focus on maintaining stability in the new year, as mentioned. Uh, two, extend fiscal support for infrastructure investment. Uh, three, continue to advance supply side reform. And four, tighten monetary policy due concerns of asset bubble risk. Um, so it's just some interesting stuff obviously uh one of the things china's been very protective of over the let's say the past decade has been that growth figure that gdp growth figure um and they've been they've pretty much bent over backwards at every opportunity to maintain that target or to meet those targets that they set um so the, the fact that they're sort of leaning away from that six and a half percent figure and saying well we have this figure but if it creates too much risk for the economy we're willing to down grade that target um, is an interesting sort of not necessarily major change in theme for them but it is something to watch moving forward and as mentioned um 
the Chinese policy towards coal, uh, where they cut down um, the days allowed for coal production and then ramped it back up uh, over the last six months of 2016, um, is interesting because we saw how much of a fundamental impact that can have on uh, seaborne coal prices, both thermal and met. Um, and we've also seen uh, iron ore bounce back a little bit based on that as well. Uh, just some uh, improved uh, manufacturing uh, data coming out of China. Um, so it, it's it's generally quite an interesting uh, an interesting little read, um, and uh, we'll we'll be watching that moving forward. So that's sort of the three uh, talking about the Canadian U.S. economic dynamic and the the Chinese dynamic is an interesting looking forward as far as what we might see from uh, let's say copper, uh, which has been sort of frozen around that uh, two fifty per pound mark over the last oh geez almost six months now um and then also uh in terms of commodities like gold which is inherently tied to the volatility of global markets and uh we haven't seen too much volatility lately now with that being said uh as we mentioned with trump coming in who knows what might happen but uh as far as fund economic fundamentals uh most of the reports coming out recently have been have largely been fairly positive um and uh, as we noticed with the PMI in China, um, and also uh, a rather rosy uh, Canadian job report over the last two weeks. Um, so uh, an interesting times for definitely for material investors. And, and I've heard a little bit of buzz around the industry um, in terms of copper being uh, something people are starting to look at a lot more closely, um, especially uh, in relation to what we've uh, talked about is maybe a bit of an oversupply dynamic and what the actuality of that is in terms of stockpiles and what people have in the LSE and things like that. Um, so It'll be interesting to see moving forward. These are just some themes to keep your eyes on as uh, as we uh, as we look uh, look forward heading into 2017. Um, one of the other things Scotia Bank mentioned is they're still quite bullish on tech uh, due to the metallurgical coal prices uh, fundamentals that they're seeing. Um, so it's quite interesting. Uh, it's Scotia Mining Sales thinks it's time to buy tech. Uh, so it's uh, it's just interesting to see um, sort of the shift. I mean, if you'd rewound roughly 12 months i think the probability of getting a buy recommendation based on met coal would have been pretty much zero um and also if we rewind a little bit when uh, copper was nearing that two dollar per pound mark uh there was just not a lot of interest in the commodity and at the se same time we saw gold surging up to around that 14 14 plus hundred dollars per per ounce mark wow have things changed um so just sort of interesting uh to to see how um sort of the the fundamentals can be you know even the long-term to mid-term fundamentals where where we look at things on a on a two-year plus basis are apt to change over a monthly period and it's just an interesting thing to be cognizant of because um you've heard some investment professionals being exceptionally bullish on gold six months ago and are now sort of shifting their act uh, attention to look at base metals and and take a, a much closer look in, in terms of investment thesis on on um what uh, might be the best entry point are we looking at it now will they go up will they go down um so it's interesting uh, as far as that goes um just to keep our eye on those investment prospects and moving right along uh we would be remiss if we did not have a little bit of um junior slash explorer news heading into 2017 because we do love our small caps and ex exploration guys and gals over at the northern miner um and i do have a little bit of news uh for coming from an interview i actually conducted this morning um people may have uh or may be familiar uh with a company called cordoba minerals which is advancing its uh san matias copper gold project around 200 kilometers due north of medellin colombia um and this is an interesting one 
Um, it probably, uh, if anything, buzzed on people's radar because uh, Cordoba's joint venture partner is High Power Exploration, HPX, which is a private exploration company that's indirectly controlled by Robert Friedland. So there's a big uh, sort of entrepreneurial name for everybody to sort of latch onto. So it's it's been a, a company that's definitely, I've heard mentioned numerous times. Um, Joe Mazumder and Brent Cook of Exploration Insights have mentioned it to me. M Mickey Falp, the mercenary geologist, has mentioned it, it to me. Um, and it's on, it's covered, I believe Haywood's doing a little bit of coverage on it as well. Um, so it's a company that's caught people's attention and they have hit some pretty interesting grades. I mean, uh, a high grade copper. Um, so what they did is they actually put out a meeting resource on January 5th. Uh, this is for their Alacran deposit, uh, copper gold deposit, which is on the uh, San Matias property. Um, so the initial uh, pit constraint inferred mineral resource for Alacran is 53.52 million tons at 0.7% copper and 0.37% gold. Uh, that equates to around 0.9% copper equivalent. Um, that also includes a higher grade sort of subsection, if you will, of 17.37 million tons at 2.14% copper and 0.41 gram gold. Uh, that's above a 1% copper cutoff. Um, so an interesting looking uh, deposit. Um, in terms of grade especially, you don't see those grades too much, especially in terms of uh, maybe, well, the potential. I don't want to say large-scale discovery, the potential for a large-scale discovery. Uh, Cordoba does have one of those land positions where, uh, if, if people recall our spe uh, pre-holiday special with uh, Joe Mazumdar from Exploration Insights, he got into how um, majors are very interested in district-scale potential large land positions with the prospect of making multiple discoveries that could lead to a district-scale opportunity. And Cordoba certainly has that in terms of where they are in Colombia. They're at sea level, um, really close to uh, so infrastructure, well set up. Um, and this uh, resource actually starts from surface, so the, the, their strip ratio should be relatively low. Obviously, we won't know that until they get into engineering. Um, but I had an opportunity to uh, get President and CEO Mario Stefano on the phone to talk about the resource. And one of the things we had to talk about was they put this resource out on January 5th, and their, their stock subsequently went down around 15 cents or nearly 18%. So it seemed like the market wasn't overly enthused about it. So one of the things I asked Mario was, well, what's the strategy behind putting out a resource, I believe, that incorporates around 30,000 meters of drilling? So for a deposit of this mag uh, potential magnitude, if you're drilling for copper porphyries or replacement-associated uh, copper, um, obviously, as we all know, anyone who listens to this podcast, I assume it takes a lot of drilling to outline something um, you know, with any sort of size. Or, or economic um, impact as far as maybe attracting a major or, or some sort of large-scale institutional investment. So I talked to Mary and I said, well, what was this sort of, um, they haven't really put out drill results from their previous season yet. So what sort of was the strategy behind putting out this resource um, at such, well, a relatively early stage for this sort of copper gold deposit. And he said, well, one of the things that they're trying to do is they want to get, um, it's really difficult to attract institutional investment to your project without in situ resources because they just need, he's like, they really need something to model. So they want to look at it and be able to sort of plug the numbers into their models and, and get a better idea of, you know, valuation and things like that. It's easier for them to justify. Um, and he said the other thing that they wanted to do um, was that uh, HPX recently agreed to move into the third stage of their earn-in. Um, and that is involved taking San Matias all the way to a feasibility study. And now uh, Mario said that they're at least three years away worth of drilling before even the Alacran deposit, uh, which is the one they have the resource on, is ready for feasibility. Um, but he said that HPX is very much involved in not so much focusing on this one specific target, but they, they see the large district scale potential and they want to continue to do a lot of um, more blue sky exploration, looking at some targets that have been generated by geophysics and things like that. Um, and as we mentioned, 
mention, Alacran is more of a replacement associated deposit. They're also looking for uh, porphyry style mineralization on other uh, sections of the property. Um, and they've, they haven't had too much um, come out in terms of news yet on the drill results from last year, as I mentioned. But we do expect in the next couple of weeks, Cordoba will start to release some of the drill results that they had uh, accumulated over the last year. Um, and Mario said they ended up drilling about 13,000 meters. Um, he also sort of sneak peeked me that their budget for this year is looking like it's going to be about $6 million, their exploration budget. So Cordoba should be spending uh, a good amount of cash trying to get, uh, well, actually, it'll be uh, obviously high power. We'll be funding it um, and working with the company to uh, to work on the targets and sort of the drilling. But uh, they will be quite active um, down at uh, San Matias this year. Um, and it will be interesting to see sort of where they go in terms of which targets they prioritize. Um, I know they will be looking at sort of an eastern extension on the Alacran deposit, which is where they have the resource now. Um, so it was an interesting conversation. It was just interesting to talk to him um, because the the market didn't exactly react that well. Now, given uh, Cordoba is back up to around 78 cents um, at, at the time of recording, they were up at about 85 prior to the resource release. Um, so it was just a little bit of an interesting um, response from the market who I think I get the impression talking to some people um, on the outside that people were really a lot more interested in looking at their drill results like they want to see the drill results from from this past season and people are really sort of um maybe waiting a little bit to uh to see how the drilling went last year um but one of the things Mero said is they're not really <laughs> too focused on quarter on uh, quarter by quarter stock prices they're more interested in the long game and having a partner like Friedland, who um, is is earning his way up to over fifty percent of the project, uh, means that they have a significant access to capital already. So uh, he said you sh probably shouldn't expect a financing for Cordoba in the future, and that they really only need money around to cover things like GNA um, and sort of the actual um, nuts and bolts of running the company. Um, so it's an interesting interesting deal, and I do hear quite a bit about it. Um, it'll definitely be worth paying attention to because let's let's be honest, you don't see. Um, outside of some specific deposits like Nevsun's Timok deposit in Serbia, or Timok, sorry, um, a copper equivalent grades up around that 1% level. Um, and especially in uh, jurisdictions that might be um, more conducive to permitting and social license and things like that. And uh, Cordoba's made, a, made a, a large effort to communicate to the market that they are in a mining friendly jurisdiction in Colombia. Um, uh, if, if actually, interestingly enough, if you're interested in more coverage on Colombia, our editor in chief, John Cumming, was actually down there late last year um, and has a bunch of interesting material coming out. Um, I'm not too sure exactly when, but it will be coming out this year um sort of on his impressions of some of the things going on down in Colombia and it's interesting because um the things that I've gathered about Colombia in terms of mining jurisdiction this is obviously third-party information uh during discussions generally over beer but uh <laughs> that it's very modular um and, and it's it's highly dependent on where in the country you are um and certain areas are are much more difficult to achieve social license than than others um and one of the things Mario said is that they're they're in a very mining friendly jurisdiction there's artisanal mining there and they have very good uh relationships with the local communities um and based on the fact that they drilled 10,000 meters last year you'd have to think that they are are not having too much trouble uh getting you know their drill permits and getting things moving at, at a fairly clip uh good pace um and then they also uh obviously as mentioned intend to do around six million in work this year so interesting company uh great interview with mario i'd like to thank him again for getting on the phone with me uh there'll be an article probably on them later this week i believe um just uh pending um my workflow generally <laughs> um so uh do keep an eye out for that um and uh well we're on the copper and i was talking about intercepts we mentioned t 
Teamwalk. Uh, one of the other things we're doing is is that's really cool. I'm a, I'm a big fan of this. Uh, John, our editor, started this. Um, we're charting sort of month by month, or or or. Um, we're splitting up the years, whether it be quarters or, or, or whatever. Um, but uh, we're tracking drill intercepts, and, and we're tracking sort of the top five best uh, width times grade is how we're measuring it. Uh, drill intercepts, um, and John did uh, the top five gold intercepts, and I recently did the top five copper inter- intercepts. And, and it's really an interesting exercise because you get to, especially in terms of copper, because there's not a lot of um, really exciting greenfield going on right now. And obviously, um, Nevsun's work in Serbia alongside joint venture partner Freeport uh, in the TMOC magmatic complex is is, is almost second to none similarly with um if you look at uh freeland's ivanhoe uh, mines kamoa and kakula deposits in the drc those are kicking up some grades i'll tell you um but uh, outside of that i mean some of the top ranking copper intervals uh one of the more surprising ones for me was Arico metals at the at the past producing comes uh site um up in northern bc and people remember comes south and northgate um but uh, they've been drilling their comes east target and one of the top intervals was actually uh coming out of bc and that is something i would not have expected um you know typically you would expect a really promising uh copper gold porphyry or, or or copper mineralization interval to come out of uh not necessarily a you know a, a developed mining jurisdiction let's say maybe the drc or columbia that yes i could totally see that but coming out of bc that's sort of surprising to me so it's an interesting exercise that we'll be doing going forward uh keep an eye on those and if you uh if you have a subscription please surf by and check out the uh the top intercept articles uh those are produced in conjunction with our sister company InfoMine. uh they have a service called intelligence mine which has a actually quite a wealth of data on it um so you can always go and check that out as well they they they, they help us track the journal intercepts they have really good financial data and stuff like that so it's a cool emerging tool that we're going to be using more moving forward um and if you don't have a subscription please think about subscribing uh we are uh uh moving ahead with uh, a bunch of new initiatives including video uh the podcast is going to keep rolling uh we're doing a bit more data journalism in terms of tracking things like intercepts we'll be looking at financings a bit more closely uh so please do consider uh picking up a uh, subscription it's an absolute screaming bargain um so you can uh, surf by our website and hit the old subscribe button there and that would do us a great service um and also uh please do like us on facebook uh and follow us on twitter and check out our youtube as well because that's getting going um so we are uh we are uh, turning the wheels of the uh, social media machine um but yeah so that pretty much uh, wraps it up um as mentioned, this is going to be sort of a, a smaller episode with just Matt. Um, but uh, next week, we will be getting you back to your regularly scheduled programming. So thank you again for joining us at the Northern Miner Podcast. It is always a pleasure. Um, and we will catch you next week.